0: Good morning, good people, so good to see you, hey, so good to see you all out there, Um, and uh, I hope you are warm and dry in your homes, we are warm and dry, and we've had an amazing morning here together as we've been um, worshiping Christ, what must I do, a little bit back, a little bit back, that's fine, I don't even need my notes, I mean just, why why don't you take them over there, just in case, just checking if you're awake there guys. Uh, as Mike said, my name is Luke, and I'm thrilled to be able to share a message with you guys today. I'm one of the, I'm one of the leaders, one of the pastors here in uh, Common Ground, South Penn. And today we're in week two of our Exodus journey. As Mike said, Donnie Miller, you kicked that thing off incredibly well last week. And so I'm thrilled today to grapple with, as we look at this passage today, one of the biggest questions that is asked in our culture. One of the biggest questions, especially, I look around, I see some younger faces as well. Especially, especially if you're, yeah, yeah, some young people waving at me. I I see that hand. I see that hand. Nicely bish. Hey, everyone, everyone here is just young, hey? The question of, of who am I? Who am I? These days you can be anything you want, Right? You can be anything you want, right? The, the, the sky is the limit. You just follow your dreams. You do what's in your heart. And it's our culture that disciples us into this kind of choose your own adventure life where you, where you pick, you, you get to choose where you are, what you do. It's the, I mean, the iPhone, the i this, the i that. It's the i life. It's, it's my life. I think it was John Bon Jovi who said it. Hey, oh, young guys, that was a singer from. <laughs> right? It's my life, and I get to do with it what I please, right? Which means that this, you have to discover your own identity. You have to choose who you are. Then you have to cast off all restraint as anything that gets in the way of your freedom is to be quelled and pushed away as you become who you are, uh, what you are in your heart. And then you kind of have to make yourself, right? You make yourself through your achievements, through your career, through marketing of this image that you've created, this persona of yourself that you have to show to the world and at times defend to the world. As you create this image and you hold it up before everyone, who am I? And uh, that's what we live. It's so much of our lives these days in Cape Town is about becoming who I am. But we see Moses ask this question, but then we see God God gives Moses a bigger and a better question to answer and to ask of himself. And, and for the Christ follower, you come at it from a different angle. Rather than starting with a question, who am I? We start with who is God? and what is God like? And then we begin to orientate our entire lives around who God is and what God is like. Sorry, I'm giving myself a timer here so I don't get too carried away, guys. Who is God and what is God like? Um, And the Christ follower are those who are orientating their lives, your orientation around who God is and what God is like. And then we join God with what He is doing in our world. And then amazingly, this God, who is God, what's God like? You've probably guessed it. The big idea of today's message is who is God and what is God like? The title for today's message is God has a name. God has a name. Uh, As you begin to understand who God is, what God is like, and then you orientate your life around Him, the amazing thing is... Who God is and what He's like gets displayed through myriads of different personalities, through myriads of different cultures and pursuits all over the world. And we're going to see today how how God shows us who He is and what He's like. In fact, one of the ways we can understand the chunk of Scripture that we're in Exodus today is around this idea of God introducing Himself to a people, a people who'd forgotten Him. One of the ways you can understand the whole book of Exodus, actually, is this idea of, of a father... Who comes down to rescue and adopt a child from an abusive home? In fact, if you look with me, if you've got your Bibles, you can open up to Hosea chapter eleven. We'll put it on the screen. But this is one of the perspectives that God that God holds when He looks at the Exodus journey. Hosea eleven: When Israel, verse one, was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. This is where this, I'm not making it up. This is really, this is a father coming to rescue a child and adopt a child from an abusive, unjust home. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning, Baals are the other gods of the day, and burning offerings to idols, other gods. Yet it was I who taught Israel to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness and the bands of love. I, I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. I bent down to them and fed them. They shall not return. To the land of Egypt. So much, or one perspective of how we can look at this Exodus journey is of God, the Father, who is coaxing and freeing this child from this abusive home so that he can adopt this nation child uh, into his family, that they could become like him and reflect him to the rest of the world. And when we look at it from this perspective, well, the chapters, chapter 3, we focus in 3 through 6 of the book of Exodus today, is really about how God, in a sense, introduces himself, this Father who introduces himself to this child, and he does it through a medium. Mediator named Moses, this prospective father, if you will, for the nation of Israel comes and he introduces himself to the nation through the mediator of Moses and he shows Moses who he is and he shows Moses what he's like. Last week we saw Donnie kick us off so well in terms of showing us the brokenness of the nation and then how God set apart this young boy Moses to be the mediator to free God's people. Now we're going to meet Moses a little bit later on in in life and years. But before we do, one more little bit of info we need before we jump into this passage. You need to know something about how names function in the Bible. Names are very different in the Bible, and they function very differently to how names work in our culture today. You see, God knows everything about you. There is not a single part of you that God is not aware. And me, by the way. It's quite scary, yes, I know. There's not a thought, there is not a desire, there is not a dream, there is not a fear that God does not know about you, that you carry. On the other hand, though, God is only known by us to the extent that he reveals himself to us. Right? And so it's God's self-disclosure that we rely on to know about who God is. We are reliant on God to disclose himself before us because we are laid bare before him. We have totally exposed and disclosed before God. He knows everything about us. But God, on the other hand, is hidden to the extent that he reveals and exposes himself to us. And one of the names that God discloses himself to us, one of the ways, is by giving us his name and his names. And today we're going to see in this passage, Exodus 3, three names that God gives to us. And these three names occur throughout the rest of the Old Testament 7,000 times, right? God is self-disclosing in the form of a name to us. And the first one is going to be in verse 6. So look out for it as we start to read. We pick up the story. Moses is years older, and he's now wandering around in the desert. And we read from Exodus chapter 3 and verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, Moses used to be a prince in Egypt. Moses was the prince of Egypt. I think that's what they called the movie, right? Uh, Moses was a prince in Egypt. Now he is reduced to a shepherd. A shepherd was the lowliest of ranks in Egypt. Yet, although it's incredibly lowly in the nation of Egypt... Shepherding is something that is very close to God's heart. And in a sense, as he learns to shepherd these sheep, God is preparing him to shepherd people later on in life. And it's in his wanderings through the wilderness, trying to find good grazing for his sheep, that he just so happens to end up on Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. Same place, just different name. Verse 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Uh, probably for Moses, initially he thought it was a campfire, right? You're wandering out, around in the wilderness, and there's a bit of a bush, that, or a bit of a fire that's burning, and I, I'm pretty sure if I put myself into that situation, you're starting to feel a bit afraid. Is this a friend? Is this a foe? Is it someone who's going to take my sheep, or take my, etc., etc.? So you kind of go over to check out what's going on, and upon looking closely to see what's going on there, he discovers that this is, in fact, a, a miracle, right? And he said to himself, self, I will turn aside, verse 3, and, and I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned, and when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the book, Moses, I've been practicing that God voice all week, I wish I had Colin's voice, yeah. hey, yeah. It's just he just laughs, and you, yes, yes Lord, <laughs> Moses, Moses, he said, and, and Moses said, here I am, Moses is remarkably calm here, all right, Like he's he's curious, and he's compliant. I would be, and probably you would be, freaking out. There's this miracle of a bush burning, and then it starts to speak your name to you. And he's like, okay, here I am, you know, got my stuff together. And verse 5, and then he said, do not come near, take off your sandals, take your sandals off your feet, for the place in which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Let's pray together as we unpack this for our lives. We pray today, Lord, as you reveal yourself to Moses in this text and to your people all those millennia ago, Lord. Would you reveal yourself to us as well? God, I pray that as we look at your word that something personal would be spoken to each of us that shows us more of who you are, what you lack, and how we can join you in what you're doing in our world, God. I pray maybe for those of us who are still working out what they believe. Pray, God, that you would reveal yourself to those who are seeking you, God. Amen. Okay, so here we see the first name. I said there are three names in the passage. The first name that God gives to Moses and to his people and to us today is this. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. This is one of God's names. It's how God reveals himself to his people. Most of this passage, Moses, as I said, was curious, even compliant, but he's never afraid until such time as God reveals who he is. And the moment God reveals his name to him, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses hides his face. He's afraid of God. Suddenly he knows this is not just one among many gods. This is the God. This is the God of Abraham, the God who made a covenant promise to Abraham to say, Abraham, I will make your, your descendants as numerous as the, the, the sand on the sea, the stars in the sky. Uh, he promised that through Abraham, your descendants will be so numerous that you will bless all the nations of the earth. The same God who spared Isaac's life, the same God who wrestled with Jacob and changed his name from Jacob to Israel and the people of God were in a sense born. It's this God, the same God who promised to Adam and Eve in the garden, I will send a descendant, a seed through you and I will break the power of sin and death and the curse in the world. And Moses suddenly realized, this is the God. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Not the one among many gods that Egypt believed in. We'll hear more about them next week as we look at the plagues. But this was the God of the world. As Moses understood, the God of his people. And God had revealed himself to him. Just as a little aside, if I can speak for a second to the parents here today. There's one phrase that gets slipped in here alongside God's name, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's the preceding phrase. It says this, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that that little phrase is not there to elevate Moses' father, a man named Amram, to the level of the patriarchs. Not at all. No, no. But what God is doing, God is... Moses' biological father was a man named Amram, and obviously Amram must have done something in his interaction with Moses that, that, that put God in such uh, such good stead in Moses' life. Uh, God used Moses' father uh, in the calling of Moses so as to assure him in this moment. And I think, parents, I want to just remind us today of the importance of modeling uh, Faith that is compelling, faith that is, um, that, is, that is attractive, and faith that is assuring to your children. It's exactly why God draws on Moses' father's faith in the calling of Moses here. I think this moment of COVID has been tough on everyone, but it's been particularly hard on our kids as well. And so just the importance to say, as I, th- I hope we're emerging from the worst that this pandemic has to offer. Parents, moms and dads, grannies and grandpas. What is your strategy? How are you going to intentionally model a faith that is attractive and compelling and assuring to your children? Because Amram clearly had one, and that was something that God was able to draw from as he roused Moses to the reality of who he is. And I'd love for each of us, these children as they sit in Kids Rock, as you moms and dads are doing the best that you can to see your kids come to faith, that God would draw from something that happens in our homes as he rouses them to faith in him as well. Let's press on. Verse 9. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression from which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I? Do you see that question? The question that we all ask today? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he, this is God, said, But I will be with you. That God doesn't answer Moses' question, who am I? He says, but I will be with you, and, and, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you, that you, when, when you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God, or you shall worship God on this very mountain of Sinai. God has got a rescue mission. He's taken he, God is on a rescue mission to rescue and free his people from oppression. And, uh, and he says to Moses, Moses, I am sending you. You are going to be my mediator. And the first thing that Moses does is, that I think the first thing that all of us do today, or many of us do today, is. We ask the question, who am I? And God doesn't answer it. In fact, God gives him a truth. He says, "I will be with you." And it's in other words, God is saying, this is not the major concern of your life. The major concern of your life is not discovering who you are. The major concern of uh, of your life is not you're not the most important person here. Uh, uh, Mo- Moses says, "Well, well, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh?" Of course, Pharaoh's not going to listen to you, Moses. You're just a shepherd. It's a bit like a car mechanic coming uh, you know from America to Canada to go to the Canadian government to say, "Let all the Canadians go if if Canada, Canada were. A Sorry, sorry, (laughs) Canadian. You know, with a spanner going to the government saying you you are you're just a shepherd. It's not about you, Moses. Cape Town, we're we're all up in, and not just Cape Town, all over. We, we we're all into who am I? I must define myself. We're all trying to find ourselves and define ourselves. And God says that's not the big deal of your life. Yes, I'll show you who you are. I'll show you your place in life. But that's not where you start. Because if you start by if you start with the question who am I, what you will do is you will define a God after your own image. Where, where Moses, God God pulls him away to a more important question. And Moses starts with, God reveals himself. And, and, and when, we, when we start by asking the question, who is God? What is God like? Then, 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 then you then you locate yourself in God's story. Then you've got a context for your life. And here's the thing. When you start with who am I, you've got to create this identity. Then you've got to, you've got to project this identity. Then you've got to defend this identity. You've got to hold it up. It's exhausting. And it's why identity politics is such a massive thing in our day today because it's, the more I can push someone else down, the more I can feel better about myself. But actually, what's going on here is, is in Moses, it's an identity that's received from God, not an identity that's achieved or, 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 or constructed and then defended and then, or achieved and then defended. It's an identity that is received from God and the pressure is off. And so verse 13, and then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, they will ask you, what is his name? What is this God's name? What shall I say? What, what do I say to them? You see, the culture in Cape Town, sorry, I mean the culture in Egypt was a polytheistic culture with many gods. It was a pantheistic culture where, where everything is God and God is in everything and it's this kind of man of all in one And so Moses says to God, he says, God, what is your name? And God answers with giving two names in the next two verses, one in verse 14 and one in verse 15. See if you can spot them. And so God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I am. I am who I am, has sent me to you. And God said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, all capital letters, the Lord, all capital letters, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever thus I am to be remembered throughout all the generations. There's two names of God revealed in this passage. I am who I am and the Lord. The Lord uh, also written in Hebrew as four Hebrew four Hebrew consonants. Yod Yahweh Y H W H Yahweh in English, as we say. Um, so let's we're going to unpack these two. But let me start by doubling back again. What's in a name? Names today and names in the Bible, names in Western culture, and names in the Bible are quite different, and they function quite differently these days. When we choose names and we think of names, we choose them for our children uh, based on how they sound or, or an association with someone maybe you like, or you, you avoid a name because someone you don't like. But we but we don't give much value to what the name means. Right? We move very quickly when you meet. Someone. Hi there, I'm Luke. Uh, you move very quickly from your name to your function, right? So what do you do? I, I, I'm a this, I'm of this. Because we give more value in our culture to our function than we do to our name. It's just how Western culture works. But uh, names in the Bible are very, very different. In fact, names in the Bible are far closer to names in African culture in Corsa culture. Now, in African culture, names are about meaning. And names in the Bible are about meaning too. In fact, names are about the the nature of a person, even the destiny of a person. And so in the Bible, when someone changes name, when when God changes someone's name, it's a significant moment because their destiny is changed. And so you think when when Abram, uh, God meets him, covenants to him, and becomes Abraham, father of nations. You think of Jacob, Jacob which meant uh, thief or supplanter, one who grasps and takes becomes Israel, and the family of God is born into the world. You think of uh, Simon, who becomes Peter, and he becomes this church builder. Names in the Bible tell you about someone's character. They tell you about someone's nature. They tell you even about someone's destiny. And names are very important when it comes to people in the Bible, but they're even more important when it comes to God. And here in this passage, God gives us his name, and then he gives us a, a condensed form of his name. And so we see here in verse 14, the name of God is, I am who I am. But because that's quite a mouthful, he gives us a condensed form. It's not a nickname, but it's a, it's a condensed way of saying it, which is Yahweh. Four Hebrew letters, Yahweh. God's proper noun name. English is a long time ago at school for many of us, I know. But the proper noun, that's like Luke. It, 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 it's like, like Lauren. It's, it's, it's God's proper noun name, Yahweh. And it's incredibly mysterious. No one quite knows exactly how to pronounce it. And even the meaning is quite mysterious. I mean, let's look first. I am who I am. Moses says to God, God, what's your name? Tell me your name. And God says to him, my name is Yahweh. My name is Yahweh because I am who I am. And God's name means I am who I am. What does that mean? It's mysterious, I know. And and, and, and there's different ways this translation in different versions of the Bible, but we can unpack it a little bit here. God's God's name means he is the creator. He is the sustainer. I am who I am of all that exists. He is both the Lord of a creation as well as of history. He is over all that is happening. He just is. Think about it for a second. I am who I, who I am. Now all other names, all other names, any name you can think of. I, I, I rack my brain. I could not think of another name finds its meaning in relation to something else. And so the meaning in a name is derived from something else. So my first, uh, my, my son ben, uh, ben, Ben means son at my right hand. And so so Ben means son at, he's close to me, he's close to us. And so, but, but the, the meaning of Ben's name is derived from me, his father. L- Luke Harper, that's my name. Luke means um, Luke from the region of southern Italy, Lusania. Harper, come on, someone who makes or plays a harp. Right? So I am a musician from southern Italy. That's what my name means, right? I should be here I should let a little bit of chest hair out and a gold chain. But what you see there is the meaning of my name is is derived from somewhere else, from something else, right? All names known to us, every single one, has a meaning derived from something else in creation, except for one name that I've ever seen in my life. I am who I am. God doesn't draw his meaning. He doesn't draw his identity from anything or anyone else because he created all of it. I mean, you think about trying to go back all those years, trying to make something up that would fit. You, you couldn't think of this. I am means there was never a time when God was not. It means God is who he is. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. I am is God's own identity. He has his own meaning that is beyond space, that is beyond time, that, that he's above all things, that he was and he is and he is to come. So when Moses comes to him and says to him, God, what's your name? It's, it's almost as if God, Moses is saying to God, God, how do I describe you to my world? Soon, soon I'm going to stand in front of all these Israelites, and they're going to ask me what you like. What do I tell them? Soon I'm going to stand in front of Pharaoh. And, and, and he's going to say, which God? I'm to, how am I going to have to describe you? How do I describe you? And God's revelation of his name, I am who I am, says, Moses, you actually can't, because all of your little categories of people and places and things are just too small to describe me. I am beyond time and space. Uh, we draw on meaning that is outside of ourselves, but god doesn 't and he 's not dependent on it. There was a time when you and I were not. there has never been a time when God has not been He is i am you see you see every reference that God could use to reveal himself would shrink him. every reference outside of himself that God could use to reveal himself would shrink him because he made it all. I am is the source of everything. God is self-existent. He's self-sufficient. He needs no air. He needs no sleep. He needs no food. He does not even need us. God is eternal. He is unchangeable. He is I am who I am. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's not getting any better because he couldn't. And he's not getting any worse because he couldn't. He is infinitely perfect. He is I am who I am. It's extraordinary. It's the name of God. And then verse 15. See this, this third name. Uh, the Lord. Yahweh. The Lord in capital letters. Now verse fifteen we see this. It's the condensed form of the word I am who I am, Yahweh. It's the proper noun name of God, and it's translated in your Bibles as the Lord with four capital letters. I don't know if you've ever looked at your Bible and you've wondered why sometimes the Lord is written in small letters and sometimes it's written in capital letters, right? Every time the the name Yahweh is used, it's the four capital letters in your English Bible, L-O-R-D. In fact it's used six thousand eight hundred times in the Bible where he's called the Lord or Yahweh, Uh, and and this is because um, it's the proper noun version of God's name. Uh, The word Adonai means Lord. It it speaks of the office of Lord, or the office of God, but Yahweh is his name. So so, uh, difficult to to follow, I know, but so look at this one here, Psalm 8, verse 1. You see this in uh, Psalm 8, verse 1. Our Lord, O Lord, our Lord. Look at the difference there. So, O Yahweh, our Lord. It's like this. If you were English, you would say, Oh, Elizabeth, our Queen. That is God's name. Luke, Lauren, Brian. God's name. Yahweh. Adonai, his office. This is God's personal, knowable name that he speaks to to Moses on that day God is revealing himself he's saying I'm knowable I have a name and he invites us to know him God is revealing Himself to a broken people, tenderly, graciously, a people who've forgotten Him, but He has not forgotten Him. And God has a name. And next week, as we look on through uh, the plagues and the story, is God goes to fight on behalf of this people, like a father, revealing more of Himself to them, more of His power, more of His justice, more of His mercy, more of His unending love. What must we do with this? This the simple message of who is God and what is God like? He is the God of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, tomorrow morning when you wake up and you pray, do you know you are praying to the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, faithful through every generation, that God has a name, every time you read in the Bible the Lord, it's not just Lord as you read, it's God's name, Yahweh, Yahweh, God, go back and read this Exodus chapter, read Exodus chapter 6. See, every time God speaks his name, but the, but, the, but the big name to focus on today is I am who I am. You see, the question I'll ask you today is what will you do with this revelation of God? For Moses, it was upon discovering the name and the nature of God that everything in his life pivoted. Everything changed. He he had orientated his life uh, around a whole bunch of other things. But it was upon this revelation of who God is and what God is like that he began to reorientate his entire life around God. You see, Moses had always believed in God. Think about it. Moses had always believed in God. But now he begins to completely reorientate his life around God and not just God who he is what he's like but around what God is doing the mission that God is on in the world Moses who had already believed in God uh, but but God doesn't want to be on the periphery or on the edge of Moses' thinking God wants to be slap bang at the center i wonder where would you place on your where would you place yourself on the spectrum from belief in God to i'm um, orientating my entire life around who God is what he's like and what he's doing in the world Where would you find yourself? What is your orientation around God? I am who I am. It's not like a little bit that you add to your already busy life to try and help you improve it and achieve your goals in life. It's I am who I am. You know? He is at the core. He's placed right at the center. And it's, upon, it's when Moses sees God like this for the first time that, that he's never the same. He begins to redefine himself. He begins to redefine his time. He begins to redefine his days. He, becomes to, he begins to redefine his purpose according to who God is and what God is like and what God is doing in the world in rectifying this injustice of his people and seeing this people built up to become a, a, a blessing to the whole world. And, and Moses begins to re- calibrate his life around those things all these other little pursuits these other little achievements and little things that he was on they just find a renewed perspective why because it's i am who i am it's possible that many of us are or have even through the strange wilderness of covid become a little bit like israel and maybe you believe in god but your life is structured and orientated around someone or something or some other pursuit. Maybe even yourself, I, I, whatever. Are we ready with a camera, Dirk? Let's try something out. Guys, it's been a long time since I made a mess in church. Oh, Jade, I hope your guitar is waterproof, mate. Um... Can you see my, see my bucket? You can read my terrible handwriting. I think for the spectrum from belief in God, many of us think of a belief in God. This is something you do. You know, you believe in God. But, but God is kind of relegated to the kind of periphery of our lives. If you can read my handwriting, that says belief. It's fine. I don't even need my notes. Um, just take them away, La. Um, and my other piece of paper as well that I need for this. Um, thank you. Can you see there, Dirk? And what we do, we think, oh no, I believe in God. I believe in God like, like, like Moses believed in God. Moses, Moses had lived most of his life before this moment, and Moses had always believed in God, but his life wasn't orientated around God. His life, uh, Moses was, this was his faith, his belief in God was kind of on the periphery, and God, in this moment of revealing himself to Moses, is saying, If you can read my terrible handwriting. It's in this moment when Moses sees, God, you are, I am who I am. Surely then my life should be orientated around you. And so God goes from the periphery of Moses' life. As Moses begins to totally reorientate his entire life around God. And stuff in Moses' life gets displaced. Displaced. Things that were so important and were so dear, that were everything, are just suddenly, they're no longer important. Because I am who I am has been put at the center of his being. Where is God? You can swim here now. I didn't think through what happens next. Who, who, who is God in your life? What, what have you orientated your life around? Is it I am who I am? Have you, have you, are you making it your life's mission to say, God, who are you? What are you like? And how do I join you in what you're doing in this world? And if you do, it's not long before you realize that you too need a mediator. It's not long before you realize, like Israel, you have not got it all down. And, uh, and you need a mediator. You need a God who would deal with you graciously when you blow it, when you mess it up. God who would condescend like he does and come and coach you along and help you. And, and, and just as God said to Moses, I've seen the misery of my people. I've heard them crying out. I'm concerned about their suffering. And so I've come down to rescue them. God comes down to rescue humanity ultimately in Christ coming down. And it's why John writes his, John writes his gospel. Remember, I am who I am. John's Gospel, John 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Same way Israel were fed by God as they wandered through the desert. He fed them with this bread of heaven. So Christ says, I am the bread of life. John 8, Jesus says, I am before Abraham was. John 9, I am the light of the world. John 10, I am the good shepherd, the true and better Moses. John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. As God said to Moses, I will draw you out of Egypt and I will gather all people around myself at Mount Sinai. So Christ, who is the resurrected one, is lifted up and all, not just all of Israel, all All the nations of the earth will be gathered around the resurrected Christ who is, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, I am the way, the truth and the life. John 15, I am the true vine and you and I are grafted into Christ. John wants us to know that, yes, we need a mediator, but in Christ, I am who I am has come down in order that he would be our ultimate perfect mediator. Even though Moses would blow it, if you want to know who God is, you want to know what God is like, and if you want to know what God is doing in the world, you look to Christ, and you allow him to show you who God is, and you allow him to to show you what God is like. And then you do, you learn to do as Jesus did in our moment now. That is what life as a Christ follower is life is like. So let me give you a second to think about it. As the band, if you guys can make your way up here. A simple message. I think a powerful illustration of how when you grasp the truth of that revelation of who God is, Jesus is either piece of paper on the periphery of your life that you from time to time use to help you achieve your goals and keep somewhere but on the edge of your periphery. Or he becomes the one, the I am who I am, that displaces sin and displaces selfish pursuit and displaces pride and displaces misconception and then fills... Oh, thank you, Siri. And then put something solid at the center. In a world where everyone is asking, who am I and what should I orientate my life around? Start by asking God, who are you? And orientating your life around who he is. Can I invite us to stand and can we just do some, do some business with Jesus as the band leads us in song? I'd love to lead us in prayer here. Father, we come before you now and we recognize that there was a time in Moses' life when you were just relegated to the realm of belief, but not so much the realm of orientation, not so much the realm of followership, not so much the realm of becoming like you and joining you in what you're doing in the world, God. God, it's so tempting in this moment, in our moment in history now, God, to live a similar way where you get relegated just to the periphery of belief in our lives, but you don't become the the core of who we are. It's it's that our lives are not orientated around the pursuit of knowing you and uh, joining you in the world. That we can see our lives as ours rather than orientating ourselves around who you are and what you're doing, God. So we in in common ground, God, we, we speak of being Christ followers more than the, just the word Christian, Lord, which, which means the same thing, but has come to mean less in our culture, Lord. Jesus, we want to be a people who don't just represent you and hold to you in belief, but actually would be people who would tomorrow morning wake up and say, God, Who are you? What are you like? And how do I join you in what you're doing in this day? Because God, I'm following you. Reveal yourself to me, God, your true nature to me. That I would be able to know you and be able to join you in what you're doing, God. God, with all our hearts, we want to be a people who in this moment that you've given us in history, who make a difference in our world, God, because we've recognized who you are, we've recognized what you're doing, and we're joining you on your mission to put this world to right, to to, to make it on earth as it is in heaven. I just want to give you a second to do some business with Jesus. What are you orientating your life around? What's your primary identity? What are you orientating your life around? Look at your time. Look at your your dreams. What does your mind drift to? When you've got a free moment, what what does your heart long toward? What has captured your affections? What does your time go to? What does your money go to? All these things reveal what our lives are orientated around. Is Jesus the paper on the surface? Or is I am who I am, the rock that has been placed at the center of your life, around which everything else takes its shape? And you, like the water, are molded around who He is and what He's like. And that's the process you're engaged in in life. Take some time to do business with Jesus now as the band leads us in song.